Okay, we're going to be finishing off Second Thessalonians today. Um, and I've titled it, Not Busy Body, But Busy Worker. Um, it's actually a play on words that occurs within the text. So remember, um, in Thessalonians we've been looking at um, this idea of um, the suffering and their participation in the kingdom because of it, uh, and the fact that judgment will occur. But also um, he's been dealing with the idea of people getting this day of the Lord stuff wrong. Some people saying it's already happened or, um, you know, it's already upon us. And Paul setting them straight again um, and reminding them of what he taught in the previous uh, epistle that he wrote to them. And so today he's just going to tidy off a little bit and then he's going to deal with another issue that um, seems to be prevalent in this and that is the idea of idle people uh, and what they're getting up to. First of all, though, let's, um, we'll do the, the, the preliminary part because he deals with a couple of other things first. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you and that you may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. So he starts off chapter 3 with this idea of finally. So he's dealt with sort of the other topics, now he's just going to tidy up a couple of other things. And the first one he calls for is this idea of prayer. And notice it's, he requests prayer for them as workers, but also, what's the other part of the prayer request? that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, that the gospel progress not be hindered. And think about the history of what they've been going through. Think about the history that we started with, with Acts, and the response that um, how the gospel started initially and then those envious Jews kicked up and started causing issues to the point where basically Paul has to leave the city. And the persecution that goes on. And so again, they would understand well some of the barriers that get in the way and so his request is for them then to pray um, that it not be hindered. But also not just be hindered, but to be glorified. As it was, and it's interesting, as it was with you. And you read Acts, uh, Acts 17. Um... And you think, yeah, is this a new definition of glorified? But you, persecution. And yet, Paul can still say that this was glorified. Why? Because of the salvation that came to these people. Because of the amazing work that God's word had done among the Thessalonians. All right? And again, putting aside the, the small group um, in Acts that they talked about who were raising up um, trouble that the word was um, causing great things to occur in Thessalonica. And the second part then he talks about this idea of being delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Um, and I've got some Greek words in there for who are those who like Greek. If you don't like Greek they just ignore that bit. Uh, but remember in Acts as I've mentioned um, 
some of the opposition was coming from Jews. And not only just Jews, but Jews who went out and rounded up the, uh, the, the heavy mob uh, as a sort of big mob to then come and address this. And that motivation by envy is it describes in Acts. All right. And so he's asking for deliverance from these, all right, to remove that element. And again, because that was part of that impediment um, for the preaching of the gospel. But then he gets on to words of encouragement because he says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the law concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now think about how he ended verse 2. And then how he starts this. People with no faith, but the God is faithful. The Lord is faithful. So even though we've had these people who didn't have faith in the trouble that they caused, God is faithful. He is able to establish you and guard you. Alright, so it's a bit of a play on words, but it's also to highlight that difference between the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness. And remember these were Jews those who were supposed to be followers of God. And so he has this idea of establish you and guard you. Strengthen. Set fast. You think of um, building a building. right? You don't just get a bit of mud and chuck it on the bottom and stick something on the top. You put concrete down. You set it fast so that it becomes unmovable. So that idea of strengthening and setting you, all right? And then that guarding concept as well. Think about shepherds guarding their, their flocks, watching over them, all right? That idea, that's what um, he's asking for. Who from? Well, from the evil one, obviously. And remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And again, that re-emphasising the faithfulness of God to be able to do this, to look after them, to establish them. And then again, he comes back to their situation again, you know, that persecution, the fact that they need to be strengthened because of that, okay, and that guarding. But again, the confidence is in the Lord, that the Lord perfect them. And if you think about Galatia, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 1, where he says, you've begun a good work, we'll complete it. And that is in reference um, to God working with us. And their response to this, Yes, God's going to be doing this on his part, but you look at their response. They're doing the things that they're commanded and will continue to do. That confidence that Paul has in them in their obedience to God. So their faithfulness to God as well as God's faithfulness to them. He then talks about this idea of directing them into God's love. And you think about, it's not like they didn't know, right? 
It's not like, oh, what a surprise, God's love, hey, look at that. Um, but that idea of, you know, that re-emphasising, taking them back, reminding them, recognise again what God has loved and does in his love for us, the great things that he's achieved, and that motivation then to keep going. And as part of that, the endurance of Christ. You think about what Christ went through in his time on the earth. You came to the earth knowing where he was going to end up. Right the way through to the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's not Garden of Eden. Garden of Gethsemane. Missed. Um, he knew exactly what was coming. And he knew why he was doing it. And he endured all of that to achieve that outcome, that obedience to God and therefore the grace that then God can offer us. And think about the words um, in Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. For we have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And again, why is he telling them all these things? so that you don't become discouraged, so that we don't become discouraged, that we endure on, just as Christ did, just as they are being called to, to remain faithful, just as our God, he is faithful to us. And yes, as we've been mentioned before, it wasn't a pleasant time at times, but yet that's what God went through, was in Jesus He was persecuted and yet he endured. So can we. Okay, the next section, um, we're going to go from verse 6 to verse 12. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, We were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labour and toil day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but our busybodies. But those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Think of the, and it's interesting because it's the start and the finish. Think of the strength of the command. It's interesting that this is actually quite strong. We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not leaving any uncertainty here. All right? It's not optional. You can't sort of wiggle your way out of it. 
But what is it that he's then talking about? This idea of walking disorderly. And there's two, ex- two parts to this. Um, there's his example and also the disorderly part. But this idea of those who are walking out of it, you know, walking against what Paul was saying, not according to what Paul had delivered when he uses that idea of not according to the traditions. And in verse 11 he gets a specific example. In here, in his explanation, he gives the standard. How did we behave when we were among you? We didn't walk disorderly. And then in verse 11 he specifically says, you know, do not eat anyone's bread free of charge. And that's obviously part of what the problem is, is there are people who are not working and thinking that other people are going to feed them in some means. But rather, and this is his example, he worked with labour and toil night and day. And again, notice the strength of that. Not we just did a bit of work to feed us, we laboured night and day, we toiled. And so Paul, instead of going, give me, he went out and he worked during the day. And then during the evenings and the times he's not working, he's out preaching the gospel, working with the church. And that was then supposed to be an example to them that that's how they ought to walk. They ought to be a follower. And remember that follower has that idea of mimic in it, the word itself. So they should be doing the same sort of things. And this idea of free of charge, you know, um, we didn't go in there and say, you ought to feed us. You know, look what we're doing. We're labouring, you ought to give us this stuff. And in another location, he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seed of my apostleship in the Lord. My defence to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as others do? Uh, So the other apostles. The brother of the Lord and Cephas, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So it wasn't, and this is an argument, um, I think it's Galatians, I forgot to put the location up, where he argues, um, it's not because I don't have the right to be supported as an apostle. I do. All the other apostles do as well. But in this instance, he's saying, I chose not to do that. I chose to be an example And that example was, I worked and supported myself while teaching you the gospel. And if you remember, Paul um, was working as a tent maker, it makes reference to that in Acts 14. But rather than being a burden, he himself did double work to serve the gospel as well as to earn the money to feed themselves and keep themselves. It was 1 Corinthians. I knew I'd written it somewhere. 
And again, as I mentioned, it wasn't a question of authority, it's rather what they then decided to do for an example. And the question then is, well, do we recognise examples in others? Do we recognise when people go above and beyond to serve and, and take Paul's example, work and serve? Are others who serve in, in ways? So it's not just, Paul was a great example, but people, if they don't take notice of it, don't learn the lessons from it. Don't see the good work that's being done and get what from it? An example themselves, but also encouragement. Right? So you have to be, you, we need to be aware of this and recognise it as well. And this is not supposed to be give us all a pat on the back. That's not the point. And as Paul was saying, he wasn't looking for a pat on the back. He was looking to say, imitate us. We are trying to serve God in the best way we can. Imitate us. Do the same. And the same sort of thing then for people in the point who are serving and working to serve God. Here's an example. Imitate them. And that isn't to say that we're perfect. Um, as Paul probably would argue very um, strongly, that he wouldn't call himself perfect either. But again, that same sort of idea. But also on the contrary side of that, think about what my example is. Steve's been mentioning this idea of consumerism. I come, I consume, I go home. And if you're lucky, I take part. And aren't you blessed when I do that? Sarcasm, drip, drip, drip. What's our example, the way we live? The way we treat church things? If all we're doing is just turning up and going through the motions and going home, what sort of example is that? It's teaching those in our family that church only matters on Sunday. Oh, I can behave like I want to the rest of the week. No. But is that my example? Right? Is that the way we work? And the answer is obviously not. So think about what example we're setting. Think about how does what I do reflect and you can say all you like but people look at what you do. And if your actions don't live up to what you're saying then they go, oh well, it obviously doesn't mean that. And that's part of what Paul is arguing with these people. I set you the example. Live up to it. And he's particularly calling on that for the people who are into this disorderly behaviour. But we for the same. We set an example. And it can be good and it may not be good. Think about what's your example that you are setting. Think about what you're saying about your priorities and how you place God by what you do by the priorities that you set.
Does my behaviour on Monday match my behaviour between 9.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning? Do I only value God between 9.30 and 10.30? What about the rest of the week? Ah, the job's more important. Ah, no, I've got this assignment. And I've worked and studied as well, so I know that pressure. Oh, I've just got to catch up with these people. And when I start putting things in front, and I'm not talking about a one-off, this is someone you haven't seen for 20 years. I'm talking about as a priority and a regular way we live. Oh, I can't do that today because I've got this. Next week, oh, I can't do that because I've got this. What does that say? These other things are more important than God because I am continually putting them above. Not one-offs. This is the way I'm working all the time. You still need to be careful you one-offs so you don't get slack, but think about the example that we're setting because other people see that and then they think, oh, well, that doesn't matter. It's only this. So again, just as Paul was an example to them, we are examples to each other. And we need to mimic the good examples, the examples that Paul, for example, was calling them to mimic, for us to be imitators of Paul and each other, as each other is an imitator of Paul. And as Paul said in another location, which I can't remember off the top of my head, um, be imitators of me for I'm an imitator of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 to 24. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which joint supplies according to the effective working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off your conduct of your former Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in truth, righteousness, etc. Remember, we were an old life and a new life. We need to be getting rid of that old life and putting on the new life. And notice the consequences of this in the Thessalonians passage. He doesn't go, oh, there, there, never mind, to those people who are not working. He goes, if you don't work, you don't eat. There are consequences. If you're going to walk disorderly, then you get the consequences. So the rest of you Christians don't feed them. Right? That principle that was established. And there's lots of people who come up with all sorts of reasons as to why 
these people were being idle. Um, some go for this patronage idea that was in Rome. But also, remember what they've been talking about. Oh, the day of the Lord's upon us. Great, we can just party now because we're done. No. He says, you work, you live by your, your own, basically, feeding yourself. And again, yes, I know there are other passages that talk about feeding those in need, but that's not this. This is laziness. This is people who would rather be busybodies running around getting involved in other people's affairs rather than doing what they ought to be doing themselves. I love Bauer's definition. To do something unnecessary or useless. To be a busybody. And that's what they're into. Uh, And quite often you'll see busybody in partnership with gossip and stuff like that in the scriptures. In 1 Timothy 5, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, things, things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry to bear children, manage the home, give no opportunity to the adversities to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. So two things from that was, yes, there are times when we do need to be looking after people. But the other part is, look at what, that's the danger again. It was in Thessalonians, was it is also in here, that idea that you get lazy, you get into busybodies and gossip. So Paul's corrective action then, and again, notice commands through the name of Jesus Christ that you work to provide for yourself. Okay, for the last part then. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them, that they may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Notice the conclusion. Those who do not obey, withdraw from them. Why? And again, it's not because we don't like you. It's not because, oh well, I just don't want to be nasty. To give you the seriousness of what we're talking about. We've already had the strong commands. Do not walk disorderly. Do not do it. Start and finish of the previous sections. And therefore, this is, again, just that conclusion that comes from that. If they don't repent, withdraw from them. And notice again, it's not just kick them out. Because you're not supposed to consider them an enemy. You're supposed to consider them a brother or a sister and deal with the sin. Right, but it's to show them the seriousness of what's going on and to admonish them to that reproving so that that leads to repentance. And then he closes off. And just, um, I'll, I like that the, the Lord of peace grants you peace. 
particularly when you think about the turbulence that they've gone through. But notice as well, um, the last little bit, uh, most people believe that Paul's letters were dictated uh, and Paul would write the last little bit. And so that idea is he would write that last little bit by his own hand to show that it was authentic. All right, so that's just what that other part means. Um, so quite often you'll see that. And then the closing benediction, and I'm going to leave you with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.